have to say right now is that it is a terrible fucking day for the girls who have podcasts out on Fridays because of fucking midnights. Like, by the time you're listening to this, we have heard every song. By the time you're listening to this, we have picked our favorites. We have understood everything. We have been thinking about it. Like, why? I'm thinking, like, why am I even releasing a podcast at midnight when fucking Taylor Swift's releasing an album? Then it gets me thinking, fuck the bitches that live in LA because you guys get to hear it early. Like, I am an early sleeper. So now I'm having this thing where I know I'm going to stay up till midnight, but what am I really going to do at midnight? I'm going to listen to some of the songs, like, because I'm, like, I'm going to be lying in bed next to my boyfriend. He's going to be like, can you go to bed? It's midnight. Like, it's tough. You know, it's a rough, it's rough to be an early riser and an early to bed girl. It's rough to be geriatric in that way because of midnights coming out and I I just wanted to make that abundantly clear like by by this point when you're listening to my voice you've also already heard midnights it's an honor to share the headphones with the blonde girl with the guitar thank you guys very much for giving me that honor and that privilege um yeah I'm really excited for the album though like I have felt like I've needed new music I get into all these ruts where I'm like I need new music and then like you have to wait patiently and like by the way I love Taylor Swift but like can we please talk about Megan Trainer and Carly Rae Jepsen like we're getting so much new music tomorrow I am a Jepsy Carly Rae Jepsen like put some respect I'm gonna make a Spotify playlist mark my words I'm doing it today put some respect is gonna be the title and then I'm writing it down put some respect and then the songs are gonna be like Carly Rae Jepsen Kelly Clarkson people who deserve fucking respect a little more than they get Okay, I'm going to Boston tomorrow. That's what I'll be listening to on the plane. Yes, I'm taking a plane to Boston. I don't like the bus. Listen, I'm going on the plane. It is what it is. I'm going to speak at Northeastern Hillel to a women's group within Hillel. I love it. I'm so excited. I have to prepare some some words. I'm going to do that on the plane while I'm listening to my new playlist that I'm going to make for you. And by the time you're listening to this, like that's all going to be happening, actually. So that's wonderful. That's amazing. Um, never before seen. I'm very excited. Um, I have some updates for you guys. I know we haven't chatted in a bit before we get into the meat of the episode. Obviously, I'm in my editing era of the books. So that means we're in edit mode. We're in deep in edit mode, in fact. Like, I basically think that I'm almost done with the second draft, and then it's going to become a third draft, and then it's going to go to the copy editors in December, and that's kind of when it's, like, done-so, done-so, but I did have to come up with the tagline. Unfortunately, what I chose is nothing anybody said, but I liked to see what your ideas were for the tagline when I asked on Instagram because it allows me to kind of keep my finger on the pulse of, like, what you guys are thinking the book is going to be, and I don't know. I just got excited because I was like, I'm going to surprise them. Like, I... I'm feeling like I'm in my Swift era where I'm going to surprise you guys. Like, I think you're going to be surprised by everything, and I think it's going to be a good surprise. Um, so I'm editing a lot. That's happening. It's been, you know, it's been good. It's definitely interesting, and we're going to talk more about it, so I don't want to harp on, like, that update too long because this episode is about book writing, and I hope that even if you're not a writer, you'll stay to listen because I think it's it's interesting for anybody who's interested in reading my book. I think you'll like the, the I don't know, conceptually learning about what I have to say. Um, but yeah, I don't have that much going on. I had a UTI last weekend. I never get them. So I was really down bad. I was in a lot of pain. And on top of it, whatever's going on with like my uterus slash ovaries slash IUD, like the complications were compounding on top of each other. I was just getting off my period and I'm still waiting for my OBGYN to call me and let me know what's going on. I said this on Instagram, but just to reiterate, um, 
there's a chance that the copper IUD is what's causing me so much pain and discomfort. I would doubt it because I've had it for four years um, and I never had an issue. If that's the case, I might try to get an IUD that has localized hormones. I'm not supposed to have hormones because they con- conflict with my thyroid medication, but because they're localized, my thyroid doctor said I could try it and just see what happens. So I'm nervous for that. That would definitely be nerve-wracking, but we'll see and I'll keep you guys updated on my health. I know everyone cares and that's gorgeous and I love that for you guys. Um, And then it was my mom's birthday. We went, did the Giants tailgate, which was really fun and always a spectacle. I'm not a big sports girly, but that's always fun. And then I planned a little day for her, which I was so grateful that I was able to do. And we went to the Caudalie Spa and it was just gorgeous. But things are just like stacking up, guys. Like these coming weeks, like I'm in Boston and then I come back My boyfriend's moving, his parents are in town, it's his birthday, Halloween, like, it's, yeah, his birthday's a week from today, um, and I'm a huge birthday person, so I need to get on all the planning, all the glitz, and all the glam for that, which obviously I will, like, I'm gonna pull out all the stops, it's me, but you guys know, you guys know I'm gonna pull out all the stops, like, I'm above and beyond for people's birthdays, I love birthdays, it's my favorite thing to celebrate like and the best part about a birthday is that every every day is someone's birthday so you kind of have an excuse to celebrate your whole life every single day which is kind of everything and I love that mindset um but pretty much that's all that's going on it's just really really busy I just booked my headshot photographer for my author photo and he also took a portrait of Oprah and Joan Didion so I'm really excited to work with him that's in December but until then we just have we have one thing on top of the other. We really do. And I'm just trying to muscle through and get through and not, I've been feeling pretty burnt out, um, for like the past year. And I'm just looking forward to like, once the book is done, kind of taking a deep breath and a step back and then diving into some other projects that I have percolating, which we're going to talk about also. Um, because this episode is all about my publishing journey and my book writing journey and being a writer. Um, I got some great questions from you guys and I'm really excited about it. I don't think I have that many other updates. Um, I'm just like, literally counting down the hours until we get to hear Taylor Swift but the thing is I also have 700 things going on today so the hours are just zooming by which is delightful but without further ado I say we just get into it I'm really excited about this episode I feel like I haven't talked at nauseam about my writing journey and you know I want to just preface this by saying this is really individual to me this is my experience um I have seen a lot of comments slash get a lot of comments being like influencer shouldn't write books like I am not an influencer first I'm a writer first always have been always will be it's been my lifelong dream and goal and I'm glad that the influencer nature in my social media career was able to expedite the process of me writing my first book but there was never a doubt in my mind that I wouldn't write a book like I always knew that I was going to be an author that's always been my goal and I think you know it was unconventional how we got here but we got here and I think you know there's going to be like some changes when the book comes out to what we're looking at like I love my social media career and the podcast is going to stay the same. I just think I'll be posting less specifically on TikTok um, and just kind of pivoting more toward I want to write a column. I want to do more speaking engagements. I want to, you know, start working on my second book or the next project. And I have lots to say about that. But let's just get into it. I wanted to start by telling you guys about my timeline as a writer. Um, 
I've always wanted to write a book my whole life. I was going to study creative writing in college. I was between the creative writing major and the theater major. And the reason that I chose the theater major at Michigan is because it gave me access to theatrical spaces that the creative writing major wouldn't have in terms of like extracurricular wise. And I was still able to study pretty much the same thing an English major would study. It was just instead of reading books, we were reading plays. But all of my classes were like very much in the vein of like an English major's classes, very liberal arts oriented. And then I took a creative writing minor. I also had a poli-sci minor in case I wanted to go into journalism in that way. And I had a playwriting minor and my concentration was performing arts management and entrepreneurship. So I was writing a lot. I would say I wrote like five or six plays. I wrote two screenplays. I wrote an abundance of short stories, thousands of poems. Um, And that's just what I was doing. I you know, when I was a sophomore, I started applying for the Hopwood Awards, which is the largest undergraduate writing awards in the country. It's run through Michigan. And you submit your writing under a pseudonym, and then they outsource to judges around the country nationally. And then there's finalists and there's winners, and I started to win them. And there was also money involved, which was great, because that became like my college spending money in between my times having jobs um, throughout my undergrad career. Um, But I won awards for narrative nonfiction and my plays and fiction and poetry, and it kind of just gave me that confidence boost. Like, I don't think I needed to win awards to know that I could do this, but I think I was always you know writing was something that always came easy easier to me than other things um for a while I wanted to be an actor because it challenged me so much but I re- I realized eventually that just because something com- comes easy to you doesn't mean it can't become challenging doesn't mean that there isn't settings and places where it can challenge you and I definitely found that at Michigan and I think it just gave me those awards and winning them gave me the confidence to know that like I could do this people thought that I could do this and I think it's sad that I needed external affirmation and validation but sometimes we need that I think it was done in a healthy way so I always knew you know I want to write a book I'm going to write a book and I started to apply to MFA creative writing programs upon graduate or nearing graduation of Michigan because my thought process was you know I know that in order to get a book published and become an author, I'm going to need a literary agent and I'm going to need access to that. And it seemed very gridlocked, the publishing industry from the outside. And now that I'm on the inside of it, I can tell that it is very gridlocked. So I, I didn't really know how I was going to get that literary agent. So I said, okay, I'm going to go get my MFA in creative writing, specifically in fiction was what I wanted to do, even though narrative nonfiction had always sort of been my powerhouse space. Um, I said, okay, I'm going to go get this MFA. I applied to 10 MFA schools. The MFA schools take like 20 people and they hardly take people straight out of undergrad. Reason being um, just life experience, wisdom, all of it. They like people that go off and then decide to get the MFA. It's very rare for you to get accepted into one. And I knew this um, going in. So I also applied to some journalism programs, some playwriting grad schools because I knew I wanted to go to grad school and kind of like focus on writing. And I kind of said, you know, I'm going to let the universe take this one. Um, And I know that I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out how I'm going to write that book. I'd been self-publishing a bit throughout college. I wrote a book of poetry and I was just so excited about it. I couldn't figure out ever how to get in touch with agents or publishers. So I just self-published it on the Amazon Kindle Direct Publishing Program. It's really great if you're interested in that. It's free. Um, Amazon Direct Kindle Publishing. It's a way that you can publish your books yourself. Um, So I figured out how to do that and publish my book of poetry and I shared my writing all over my Instagram throughout college. I wrote for the paper. I wrote for all sorts of different outlets. Um, Her campus, all the good stuff. So eventually I was just like throwing myself out there 
I got into NYU's MFA in Creative Writing and Columbia's Master's of Science in Journalism. And my parents had a rule that they were going to pay for my undergraduate education, which I understand is a tremendous privilege that I'm very grateful to say was true for me. But if anybody, my brothers included, wanted to go to higher education to get a master's, we had to pay for it ourselves. Um, That was my grandfather's similar rule. And um, my mom didn't go to grad school, but my mom paid her way through college and loans. So um, I was going to have to take out loans. So when I looked at the loan breakdown of NYU MFA versus Columbia MS, it just seemed like Columbia was the better option in terms of like financing it. And like I said, I was going to let the wind sort of blow me in the direction I felt like I should be going. Um, and it just, it made more sense logistically for me at the time. So I actually deferred my admission to NYU and I told myself I was going to go make money and pay off my Columbia thing. And then maybe I would go to NYU after that, or I would reapply. So I had this plan in the back of my mind that like it wasn't over yet. And I was excited to explore journalism because like I said, I didn't really know. I knew that eventually one day I wanted to write a book, but I really imagined myself like 35 or 39 or 40 years old, like, in a cabin in the woods writing my books and being this like acclaimed author who just like has a farm and I always wanted to have a jam company and like make jam I love making jam I don't know why I've always thought that that's what I wanted to do in the middle of nowhere and just write and write and write all day and like rise before the break of dawn like Toni Morrison used to and write and then I wanted to teach creative writing at a college like I always knew that was the end goal but I was like you know what like I'm gonna need money and I'm gonna need you know access to certain spaces to make that dream happen so I have time and I imagined that that was how it was gonna look like my whole life I really imagined that that was going to be my my book writing career I was going to go off and write a column in a magazine or or work in magazine journal and then I'm going to get my book deal through that or I'm going to go to my MFA and get my agent and get my book deal so that was always like that was my thought process um and I think you know something I've learned is that you have to like kind of let the unconventional happen before your eyes because the path that I took to get to that first book deal was like not what I thought it was going to be at all But simultaneously, it was the best way for it ever to happen. Um, So basically, when I was at my 9 to 5, I was working in insurance journalism and I just wasn't creatively stimulated. So when I was finished up with my work every day, I started to just write and write and write creatively. And I was publishing it on Substack and it got, you know, like 10,000 readers and I was posting it to Instagram and I was writing and writing and writing and talking about writing and I was applying to a ton of other jobs. Um, And then... Basically, social media started to blow up more with the rules. I signed with a management company and I left my job because my boss was being kind of creepy and I've talked about it in other episodes. I don't really want to get into it. It's a trauma that I don't want to relive. Um, And I was going to look for other full-time jobs, but then I started supporting myself off the social media stuff and I kept writing creatively. And I kept applying for like column gigs and pitching here and there um, for a little bit, but nothing was really sticking. And then in January, my agents at Park and Fine Literary Media reached out to me. They also rep Taylor Jenkins Reid and um, Jennifer Weiner and Nicholas Sparks. They did Jojo Siwa's book. They're doing Benny Blanco's. They just have an amazing repertoire of people that they represent and clients. And they just sent me the most amazing email. They'd been reading my writing. They'd been following along with me. And this is like beyond my wildest dreams. I always say you have to write 
um, like you have to act like everything you write is going to be in the New York Times because you never know who's going to see it. And I never really thought that my Substack was going to reach those eyes. I never really thought that, you know, my beginning journey posting Instagram stories of my writing would amount to today when my Instagram is the way that my writing got discovered by these agents. So I, lo and behold, um, <laughs> my agents reached out and they asked me to just get on a call with them. I had no idea what to expect. And they said, you know, we do narrative nonfiction here, nonfiction work, memoir style, personal essays, all that stuff. We know that you love to write fiction. If you want to write fiction, we'll transfer you to the fiction department. But if you're feeling really like gung-ho, yay, about doing this, then we can do this. And I thought about it and I was like, you know what? Like, I feel like the time and place to write narrative nonfiction for me is right now. My personal essays were always what was hailed as my best work in college And I think in college, I loved fiction. And I've always known that I was going to go back and and write fiction one day, but it just felt right. And I was like, I'm just going to claim this as it is right now. Um, And so we started to develop what is called a book proposal. So if you listen to my episode with Haley, um, it's called At the Writer's Table. You'll hear her talk about the process of writing a fiction book, which is very, very different than writing writing a book, narrative nonfiction, memoir, personal essay style. My book um, and the book I'm writing, the way I'm writing it, it's very, very different process. So I'm, I'm going to speak to the nonfiction side of things. Um, but basically, we came up with this idea, which is a book where each chapter is a rules list. And then the book is the chapter that follows is an anecdote, a story. And it's also a bit of um, I, I don't want to say advice. It's just conversations I wish I had at the time, things I wish I knew, feelings I was feeling that I didn't talk about because, you know, as a woman, as a person, I didn't feel like I could or like I was allowed to or that it was safe to um, and and kind of what I wish I knew in those times. So that was the idea. We ended up naming it. I didn't know I needed this based on my followers um, DMs that I get often And we put together this proposal. So the proposal is about 30 pages of marketing materials, who I am, my bio, how how we intend to sell the book, why this book, why now. The other 60 pages were an outline of every single chapter. And then I wrote three of the chapters in full so they could see my writing chops and everything. We packaged that up and sent it out to publishers. Um, Publishers are the people that are going to buy the book, the book proposal and make it into a book deal. What happened was they sent it out to publishers and five publishers came back and said, we'd like to take a meeting with Eli. So we took these hour long meetings with five different publishers and they all offered on the book. So an offer means they say we want to buy the book. Then they had a week and it ended on a Tuesday at 10 a.m. to give their monetary value how much they were going to buy the book for, which is the advance. The advance is the money paid out to the author to satiate them essentially while they're writing the book. So an advance is paid out, in my case, in four chunks um, of a certain amount of money. So they they had till Tuesday at 10 a.m. Tuesday at 10 a.m. they all turned in their monetary values and then my agents called me and it was the most holy shit conversation of my life they went from like least to most and read out how much was offered on the book and typically people choose the person offering the most money but lucky for me I had the ability to choose whoever I wanted Harper Collins offered the most money and they um they were the ones that I was gravitating toward I just felt like my editor really got it and an editor in this case what they're doing is they're giving you all the grammar and spelling edits because like writers aren't necessarily 
experts on grammar and spelling. I would tell you right now I'm a terrible speller. Um, definitely pretty decent at grammar. I had an 800 on the writing section of the SAT, but I feel like when you're writing, like, my book right now is 145,000 words and we have to get it down to like 90,000 so we're cutting a lot but when you're writing like that and you're just writing and writing and writing and then they you just gutturally send off a first draft there's bound to be mistakes um so she goes through and does all the grammar and spelling and then she does like minor overhauls cuts all of that stuff so um I just thought that she understood what I was trying to get at she's young she's smart she's fresh I really love um her name's Jacqueline I love Jacqueline um at Harper I love my agents and it's been a really good process so I um then had to choose I signed the book deal in April I had to choose how long I wanted um to take to write I could choose six or nine months I chose six I just feel like this is the moment and I've wanted this for my entire fucking life and I've never experienced getting something that I wanted so badly ever I've never experienced what this felt like so I signed in April I said I'll be done in October October 15th was my due date it went by fast. I actually delivered on like September 20th, I think, and we've been editing ever since. So now we're in the second stage of edits and then we're going to have the whole book done. She's going to take another look at it. I'm going to take another look at it. She's going to take another look at it. I'm going to take another look at it and then we'll send it off to the copy editor. And that's the person that's looking, fact checking every little thing, looking at every single little comma. So there's absolutely no mistakes. Um, but we're also currently with marketing and publicity right now for the cover, for the tagline, all of that stuff. I wrote my dedication. I need to do my acknowledgments and my foreword. The foreword is really important to me and I hope that everybody's going to read it. Um, I think it's just going to describe where I'm coming at with all with all of this. It's This book is really vulnerable. I would say the only person and she doesn't even know everything, but, like, the only person that was really there for all of it, I would say, is Allie. Like, she was really there for all of, for most of these experiences that happened since our friendship, but I'm really laying out, like, all the mistakes I've ever made and all of the ways I've been harmed, like, on the line, and that is a really vulnerable place to live, um, and I think, you know, I was having a lot of trouble with that and putting a lot of pressure on myself because I think if this was a work of fiction, I would have no problem with criticism because that's just what comes with the territory. It's not going to be some people's tastes. Other people are going to love it. I think with this, of course, criticism will come and of course, I'll welcome it. I always welcome criticism. It's the way that I get better every day. Um, I, I think it's going to feel a lot more personal because these stories and, and these moments are so like raw and near to me and like I just can't I can't picture I can picture it but I don't picture what it feels like to like hand your heart over and between two covers and say like take care of it um but that's what this is so sorry that just was a lot that just hit me I that's what this really is um it's me giving you a little piece of my heart and asking you to just hold it close. And it doesn't mean that you have to love every moment of it, but it just means that this is really huge deal for me. And I hope everyone takes that into account when they're reading it. And I think that will be really described and, and fleshed out in my foreword, which I'm really looking forward to having as a part of the book. Um, so we're doing all of that. And yeah, I also think that for a while I was really caught up in like, oh my god, like, this book needs to be great, it needs to be perfect, like, it needs to be a New York Times bestseller, there's two things about the New York Times, like, 
the bestseller list to become eligible technically all it is is like you have to sell 10,000 copies within a certain amount of time and they have to be like unique purchases so like I can't purchase 10,000 of my own book to make the bestseller list it has to be like unique from a bunch of different places and a bunch of different people and like not just Amazon but like indie booksellers and everything like that I think the thing that the New York Times bestseller list is like known for is like being a little political so technically speaking if you have like 10,000 unique sales and then like you have um like certain other credentials like you make the list but it it never happens that way like there are people that stay on the list forever you can tell that they're just being put there there are people that get it as a consolation prize there are people that don't get it at all when they're completely qualified so I was putting so much weight on something that's like sort of arbitrary like that I again want so badly don't get me wrong I'm desperate to have it and like praying that it comes true it's my biggest dream in life but once I set settled down about it I was like okay so what if you don't make it like it actually has nothing you could be you could sell more books than anybody else and not get on there there are people that sell like so many books and don't get on there you can be wildly successful and not get on there like it does not have anything to do with your success and if you get it that's amazing but if you don't that's okay too and then I was listening to a podcast that Cheryl Strayed was on and she said something like she was panicking about the book being good and it being received well when she wrote her first book but then she was like this what this book is is the only book that I have inside of me to write right now and once it's out into the world that's it it's not good it's not bad it's nothing it's just my first book And once I heard her say that, I was like, I feel so calm. And I messaged her about it and she responded and she told me, keep going, dear heart. Really, you can do it. And it's my phone screensaver. I think about it every day. So she really helped me get my brain out of that gutter because it was there. Um, But yeah, that was basically the process of getting the deal and everything. It's very unconventional. Obviously, people ask me all the time, do you think you would have a book deal if it wasn't for social media? Like, I think eventually in my life, yes, it's always been what I wanted, but I don't think as quickly. Like, obviously, how fast it all happened was because of my social media career. Um, And I, I talked to my therapist about this a lot. I said to her, you know, I... I expected this to look a lot different for me. And she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, I expected to be older and not to have a social media presence like this. I expected to be off somewhere on my farm in my countryside house waking up at five in the morning and writing. I expected to be able to focus on just this and only this. I expected all these things for my first book. And she said, what would be better if it was like that? You'll never know. And so why don't we just look at it how it is? And I think I've been really working on that and and being vulnerable in that way has been really overwhelming. Um, Oh, sorry. Just to realize that like there is a lot going on. Um, There is a lot going on with my social media career. There's a lot going on with the podcast. There's a lot going on in my personal life. And like I'm not in a cabin in the woods, but would it be better if I was? We'll never know. This is exactly what Cheryl Strayed said, the only book I can write right now. And I'm really proud of that. And I know it's not going to be perfect. There's no way for it to be perfect. I'm going to scrutinize every last word and it's not going to be perfect. And I know not everyone's going to agree with everything I say. I just hope this book reaches out and touches at least a few people and then I'll be satisfied. You know, I'm really anxious about this and if I'm being honest scared but I also am so excited and I just it's like it's here it's happening and I have to thank you guys for it 
But I think what everybody wants to know about is like my writing and creative process and it's been the same forever. I can't write at home. It's like babies who can't like shit in front of people and like hide behind a couch to shit in their diaper. Like that's me writing at home. Like I can't, I don't like the idea that people know I'm writing. I don't like eyes on me. I like to be surrounded by strangers. I think in public. Um, it varies. Like I like to write at my office, but I love to write at Soho House where I have a membership. It's like really calming to me. Tons of strangers, tons of noise. I listen to music when I write always always it's a lot of Sarah Bareilles a lot of Taylor Swift a lot of um Noah Kahn right now a lot of Carol King that kind of vibe um I love to write on my desktop and I have my little office but I'm actually moving out of it because I don't use it enough um and I think my desktop computer is gonna go into the boyfriend's new apartment um because mine doesn't have any place for it right now um so that's kind of what's going on with that um yeah, I, I like to write also like in transit. So on planes, on trains, um, I like the idea of writing in transit where you're physically moving and you can be emotionally moved as well. Um, but I like to write with, with noise and a lot of people aren't like this. Like most people I know who are writers are like absolutely fucking not. For me, it has to be an interesting and diverse place with other people and there needs to be noise. There needs to be noise going on, coffee shop, coffee sounds, people walking, people moving, my music, and then I'll just get myself into a groove. The other thing about my writing process that's huge um, is I read more than I write. This was advice that was given to me that I take very seriously. Reading more than you write is so fucking important as a writer. It's the same thing with anything. Like, if you're a cook, you gotta taste food. Like, you gotta do the thing to do the thing. You know what I mean? So I read way more than I write. Um, Maybe not recently because I just wrote a book. <laughs> but typically, I read more than I write. And I write a lot. I write long. But my my advice is to get it all out there. You would rather have way too much and make cuts and everything be on the page than be mining for gold and mining for nuggets of gold and like killing yourself to do that. So I write it. I write a lot. I get it all out there. I wrote 16 long ass chapters, y'all. Like this book is fucking long right now. It's 145,000 words. Like let's look up live on air. 145,000 words in book pages. I think it's. Okay, so it's like literally 400 pages, I think. Yeah, it's long. So it's long, but that's fine. We're fine. We're fine. We're, I think we're looking at more of like a 300 pager. I would like like a 250. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be good. I wrote long, but we're working on making cuts now. Um, the other thing I wanted to say too about this book specifically um, is I like all of these events that I'm writing about are like my personal experience in them and I feel like I'm a pretty reliable narrator because I'm also taking the blame for a lot of things. My intention is like not to drag people. I think similarly to Taylor Swift like okay yeah all too well dragged Jake Gyllenhaal. You know why? Because he deserved it. Like she said if you do something to hurt me I'm writing a song about you. You know like I did something to hurt people. People did something to hurt me. I'm writing about it but I'm not like dragging anybody and I don't villainize anybody that I'm writing about for the most part. <laughs> um, yeah and I just want to I want everyone to be protected. There are pseudonyms for everybody except for Allie. And I think Veronica. You guys loved Veronica. I don't want to go on a tangent, but, like, do you guys want her to come back? Do you guys want her on a monthly rotation to talk about, like, 
fucking conspiracy theories because she's funny right she's smart she's sharp I knew you guys were gonna like her but yeah let me know about that um but yeah that's kind of my process I write long I write it all um I read more than I write I I'm a pretty decent editor like it's not my thing I'm not really good at spelling but I learned to edit in college um when I was an editor for a section of the paper so I definitely am decent also I learned to edit in grad school I'm not good at spelling like I'm shitty at it but other than that like the edits aren't that lofty, which has been nice. Um, I think it's my like journalism editing brain that comes into play there. My editor and I feel like are just collaborating right now and we work really well together, which has been great. Um, and we'll see when it goes to the copy editor what that looks like. Um, and yeah, I think things are just going to start picking up and being massive and crazy and I, I want you guys to stay tuned for everything. Um, pre-order is probably going to start like two to five months before the book comes out so in the spring we're gonna spring summer we're gonna be doing pre-order stuff so it's gonna come sooner than you think like all of a sudden you're gonna get to see the cover and I haven't seen the cover yet but trust me like the the minute I can give you anything you're getting it um I promise like I'm trying to figure things out on the fly as I go and I'm, I'm thinking far ahead like I'm so excited about the book tour I'm so excited about doing that with you guys and I I I can't wait. Um, and then a lot of people have been asking me, like, what's coming after? Um, so I have um, I have a clause in my contract that I can pitch my second book to HarperCollins exclusively if I want to. I have an idea for another narrative nonfiction book that I can pitch to them. Um, but right before I got in touch with my agents, I had some producers and execs at Paramount and Sony Pictures reach out to me about writing a movie, but it was m- less, like, legitimate it was legitimate obviously they actually worked there but it was very freelance like we were going to all collaborate and I was going to write a movie and they were going to help me pitch it out to like um the Netflixes and Hulos and HBOs of the world and then we were gonna go from there and they were gonna work on it with me in like production related settings but there wasn't like any money on the line or any guarantee so I, I paused the project to start working on the book which they obviously understood I've met them in person in LA um because I was like I need to I need to pursue this right now because this is like you know gonna be contracted and and it's a guarantee um whereas you know the the movie thing wasn't a guarantee but I studied screenwriting and playwriting in college and so I think I'm definitely I was thinking about this yesterday I'm gonna edit one of my plays and I think I'm gonna start pitching out one of my plays to just do readings and have fun with and like I don't know we could fuck around off off Broadway off Broadway maybe like who knows like that could be really fun. Um, I definitely want to revisit the movie thing. I had another like screenwriter producer reach out to me about a collab opportunity to write for the screen. I would love to write for television. You know, I, I kind of I'm not pigeonholing myself, but I do I do want to pursue writing in all the many capacities. If you guys have any like if you need a writer, I have words. I've got clips. I've got words. I can fucking write for you. I don't care what it is. I'll do it. Um, so who knows? Like maybe I'll write myself into one of my plays and then cast all you guys and we'll be a traveling act. Uh, but there's opportunities. There's things. I'm excited. And I, I'm i just trying to take it one day at a time or else I'm going to get anxiety, you know, because my anxiety has been bad lately. I think I've shared that with you guys. I think you're familiar. I think you know. I think you get it by now. She's anxious, right? She's fucking anxious. But let us get into some of these. Is Did Be Real go off again? No. Tell Me Be Real went off again. <gasps> God.
guys oh my god maybe i should just start podcasting whenever i want be real to go off when i'm like doing something sickening i'm never doing sickening things let's be fucking honest but like let's be real wait you guys are getting in my b-roll imagine you just got my b-roll ew i look so ugly i would definitely like let you guys be in my b-real friend but i wanted a social media platform that's just for me um and that's what this feels like my name is the jar but it's like a kitschy thing now i'm looking at my friends b-reels i have some content creators on b-reels like content creator friends and you know what everybody on my b-reel is a little bit more boring than oh okay so she's at a bar 225 good wait oh my friend is in paris i was like why is it night where she is then i saw the eiffel tower okay wait stop everybody is going oh are you on a date at 225 the thing about be real is that you can really get the tea low-key like i'm like i'm getting the tea like okay you guys are all working me too me too working girls wow Ooh, but some people's jobs looks fucking hard like when i see the spreadsheets on be real i'm like damn respect wow okay well that was your be real interlude everyone seems to be doing well from what i can tell everyone seems to be thriving surviving whatever you call it i can't believe be real went off again again while i was podcasting Welp, simultaneously, you all just be reeled with me at once. And it was a gorgeous moment. And it brought us together. And we feel so, we feel so unified. Okay, rapid fire questions. <laughs> what is the most gratifying part of the writing process? Sharing it, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Um, I get so like embarrassed when I share my writing, but probably sharing it and hearing that people resonated with certain things that meant a lot to me um also when the things that I didn't think would hit people hit people that's special people want to know how I outline and what my schedule looks like so for my schedule I just give myself a deadline for every single chapter um I've been doing this my whole life with my writing even if I was writing a creative writing piece for fun just for my portfolio I would be like here's your deadline and I would hold myself accountable I would put it in my google calendar or on a schedule or in my planner um and then in terms of outlines I just I outline kind of messy like similar to how you would like outline like for school if you were taking notes on like a chapter of a book I would like put like you know, the header of the section and then like some anecdotes that are going to go in there and then like another header and then like some anecdotes that are going to go in there and then, you know, what else I'm going to say. And then I kind of just go for it. Um, Typically with this, I had outlined by writing a paragraph about each chapter already. So I had a paragraph summarizing the chapter. Um, And I think you have to ask yourself the really obvious questions like, what is this book? Great question. What the fuck is this book? Like, what, what is the book? you know what I mean? What is the chapter about? What am I trying to get across? What do I want my audience to take away from this? I feel like that might sound sort of like elementary to you, but I think like there's a reason that we learned to ask ourselves those questions while we're writing or while we write anything. Like, what is this about? What is the goal of the chapter? I'm definitely doing that now where I ask myself that about every single chapter I'm writing and it's been very helpful. You guys want to know how many drafts? I think it'll end up being four, maybe five. 
it's really going to depend, but currently we're on, like, the second. Um, yeah. Do I have a vision for the cover? Listen. Listen. Don't we all? I had a vision for the cover when I pitched the book, and the book has become something that now it doesn't work. You know, it just took a different shape. My editors have some ideas that I like, um, but I think I'm just going to have to wait and see. Um, wait and see what HarperCollins brings to the table in terms of their cover designers. So I'm lucky and blessed that the subsidiary of HarperCollins that my book is being published under, which is called Harvest, is like known for gorgeous designs and gorgeous layouts. So I feel like I'll be fine. Um, but once I know, you guys will see it. One of you said, I want to write, but I feel like I have nothing special to say. And my question to you is, who told you that? You told you that. Like, I feel like I want to do something, but I feel like I have nothing special to say. But did anybody ever tell you you have nothing special to say? And if they did, fuck them. They're just jealous wench. Like, nobody told you that. You're telling yourself that. Tell yourself a story where you do have something special to say. And even if you don't believe it, conscious thoughts become subconscious actions. Remember, that's our Bible. Conscious thoughts become subconscious actions, baby, okay? Put it out into the world. Put it out into the world. You do have something special to say. And that's all I have to say to you. Go do it. Just start. It's like anything. You have to just begin. Um, okay. You guys want to know about writer's block? Listen, the only way for me to get out of writer's block is reading. I read until I feel inspired by other writers writing to write. Like when other writers just smash something out of a park, a delicious modern love essay printed in the New York Times modern love section, something of that sort. And complete sidebar. I was so gutsy and ballsy in college. I e emailed the editor, Dan Jones, of the Modern Love section of the New York Times and asked if I could come to the New York Times for an informational interview, and they said yes. And I went there and I met them. And I was just like, hey. I met him and the, the, the co-editor, and I asked them for advice, and I, like, got my name in their face, and, like, they were never hiring and they never are, but, like, I don't even know. Like, you can literally, the world is your oyster. Like, just fucking do it. Like, that's what I hope I leave this that's what I hope you guys leave with today um amazing okay maintaining work-life balance if I'm gonna be honest I have not done a good job I am grateful that the flexibility of my career allows me to have life that is work and work that is life so like this morning I went to Pilates and got coffee with Sabrina but this weekend I'm working for the whole weekend so like I get to like do things throughout the day like get my nails done but then I'm working on the weekends to write um, I think, you know, it's interesting. I, I definitely keep myself organized, which really helps. Like everything's in the G-Cal, like every dinner with my friends, every outing, every night out, every date night. It just goes in the G-Cal because it helps me to remember to live my life because if I don't, then I just keep working through. Like I could be writing and working all day for every single day forever. Um, but even doing like reading time, laundry time in my G-Cal, like forces me to look at those light lived life moments as, a task that I'm forcing myself to do and get out of my own way to complete. So it's maybe sad that that's what it's come to at this point, but I'm just grateful and I'm working on it. That's all I have to say about that. How big was my online audience when my agents reached out? So I had less than, I had around 350,000 followers on TikTok and I had just hit 24,000 followers on Instagram so that's where I was when my agents reached out so since then we've quadrupled Instagram and grown almost 200,000 more on TikTok so the last year the last six months has been nuts nuts balls like nuts balls like 
crazy town usa like like that sounds like something your weird uncle would say but it's true i didn't even think about that until i thought about it until you guys asked so thanks for being asked thanks for being thanks for asking me (laughs) you can tell that my brain is fried um okay how do i deal with comparison in the space you know this is not one of my quotes this is just a quote they say comparison is the thief of joy and I really do believe that like what is my goal when I'm comparing myself to anybody to make myself feel bad then why would I do it it's an intentional practice to get out of that habit and stop comparing oneself to people around you but I think it's a really important one to execute um so yeah I I just I just don't do it um and when I and befriending another writer or giving another writer props I just remember that like that's their story to tell and they did it in a beautiful way and I hope when I tell my story in a beautiful way they're gonna applaud me too okay the fear of being vulnerable when writing nonfiction. yeah you know I don't have that much to say about not being scared because I am scared and it is scary what I do have something to say about is letting it feel that way um I'm allowing this to feel scary because it's scary to be vulnerable because being vulnerable requires being brave. I'm allowing this to be scary because it's a lifelong dream of mine coming to fruition and I've never experienced that before. And so this is a brand new experience in so many ways and that's allowed to be scary. Being scared means that I care so deeply about this and when and I just don't let the fear get in the way of my creative process. I let it drive my engine a little bit I let it become energy or motivation um and less so you know something that stops me from doing it at the end of the day this is my story so nobody can tell me it's not my story nobody can tell me this wasn't how I felt or what I did and that's it um I'm choosing and I think a lot of actors do this they don't like read reviews of their movies or anything they just like make their film and go about their way um I'm choosing to probably not read a ton of like reviews I think I want my editors and agents to compile all of the criticism that I need to know about and then all of the praise um but I don't want like my fear of being I don't want criticism or opinions to come in the way of me being excited about this um and I don't want it to come in the way of me sharing my story Um, and I know it's going to exist and it's allowed to exist. It should exist. And I will get that information. I just don't think I'm going to sit around reading book review after book review. Um, because I don't really think I need to, like, like I said, this is my first book and that's all it's going to be. It's the best book I can write right now. And I know that my team is going to give me all of the critiques that I need to hear and all of the praise that I need to hear in terms of like what they get from book reviews and how they feel themselves. And I have a really good team that's really constructive around me. And so I'm going to set my boundaries. Like I'm not going to read a terrible book review about my book if I know it's going to make me feel badly because it's so personal. And that's my choice. And that's not me running away from criticism because most artists do the same thing. Most actors don't read the reviews of their films. Most musicians don't listen to the reviews of their albums. They just, they create their art and people pay them for it and people love it and people hate it. And that's what creates artistic discourse. And to be at the center of that is such a beautiful thing, but I don't have to participate in it because it's not my business what other people think about the book. Um... And I say that with my whole chest. It's not anybody's business what anybody, like, 
people having an opinion of you that you didn't ask for in any capacity, that's not your business. And that's something that's been very healing for me. So if you're afraid, just remember, anyone's opinions of your writing aren't your business. You know how you feel about it. And if you are in a professional setting, your team is going to give you the criticisms that you need to hear that were given and the love that you need to hear that was given. And that's it. Okay, you guys want to know how to start sharing your writing. For me, I did it a lot on social media, on Instagram. Even when I didn't have a platform, I shared on Instagram all the time. I entered any and every writing award I could possibly find. Any platform that was available for me to write for, I wrote for. Spoon University, like whatever it is. Like I know all colleges have like a Spoon University. I know every single city has a town newspaper. I wrote for my town newspaper. I wrote freelanced. I did an internship that was unpaid at a magazine that was online. Like I wrote anywhere that I could in order to just build up clips and build up chops. And I think that's my best advice that I could give. Okay, so the last thing I wanted to share was some books that I've read recently that I have loved. And so I'm pulling up my story graph, which I have a story graph. Um, I'm looking to see if anyone followed me on story graph because I don't know. Do I have followers on this shit? How do I know? How do I know if you followed me? Community? But that's not my community buddy reads do you guys know how to use this have you guys followed me on here can you follow people on here Ooh. oh they give you stats that's cool well anyway i'm gonna tell you guys what i'm reading and you can follow me on story graph it's just at eli rallo i read writers and lovers by lily king i absolutely adored this book it's contemporary literary fiction it's emotional and It's a fast read. It's 300 pages long, and it was one of my favorites that I've read recently. I read Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. I loved everything I know about love. I did not like her fiction book, Ghosts. I don't recommend, Um, but if you loved her writing, then maybe you'll like her fiction. I know everybody has a different taste. I loved Book Lovers by Emily Henry. I talk about it all the time. One of my favorite books I've read in the last year is called White Fur by Jardine Libert, and if you need a book it's so fucking good. It's like reflective and emotional. It's about New York City. And if you like to read about New York City, you need to read this book. Seven Days in June by Tia Williams. Chef's Kiss, Five Stars. Everyone's going to kill me for this. I did not love Beautiful World, Where Are You? But anything Sally Rooney does, typically I will eat right up. Um, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. I'm late to the game on that one, but I loved it. I've been reading a lot of fiction because I don't want to read narrative nonfiction while I'm writing narrative nonfiction per se. So I've been enjoying my fiction journey. So if you guys have recs for me that are along the lines of some of these books, let me know. And then the last thing I've read recently is I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy, um, which I, I've loved. I loved. I thought it was brilliant. I thought I think she's fucking amazing. So that's my reading journey right now. I... I... I'm really grateful that you guys had so many questions about this process and that you're excited about it. I know I am. Um, and I can't wait to just give you guys more and, and show you what's to come. And I thank you for listening. Um, again, if you have questions about writing fiction books, I recommend you go hit up my girl, Haley Jacobson. The um, title of the episode, I almost said article, damn, is At the Writer's Table with Haley Jacobson. So go listen to her if you're curious about fiction writing. 
and let me know if you have any recs for guests or things to do on the pod another ask me anything I hope you had the best midnight's listening party I hope it was everything you craved and more I hope that you danced and dreamed and lived and loved and learned I love you guys so fucking much I hope you have the best weekend ever if you see me in Boston please say hi and I will see you next week Mwah.